Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and I'm in the studio live for the first time with my co-host, Joey. Hey, how's it going? And uh, yeah, this is a momentous occasion for the two of us because we are finally recording a podcast in person together. This is the first time we've been in person since we started doing the podcast. Yeah. Last time I saw you, we were still in college. That's right. So over was two when? years ago. More than two years ago. So it's been a while. And so this is a big moment for us. And we're going to be discussing the documentary Free Solo. Does it feel different to be up there without a rope? When you're coming without a rope, it's obviously like much higher consequence, much, much higher level of focus. You know, it's a whole different experience. But it's not like I'm just pushing and pushing and pushing until something terrible happens. I don't look at it like with that perspective. But maybe that's why it's dangerous for me. Maybe I'm too close to it and I can't tell that I'm speeding towards a cliff. This is a self-actualization relationship management meta-adventure documentary. Directed by Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vassarelli. The cast includes rock climbing Adam Driver, a bunch of terrified family and friends. I watched it on Hulu. Joey, how did you watch this? I watched it on YouTube, but I since learned it's on Disney+. Plus. So I went back and looked at some of my favorite scenes again on there. Okay, why don't you give us the synopsis for Free Solo? Free Solo is the story of one elaborate failed suicide attempt. That is correct. Let's get right into it with our pros and cons. Um, I'll get started. This movie is beautiful. It's really nice to look at and to listen to. The cinematography is beautiful. The score is amazing. Uh, and it's also a really novel documentary uh, about a man accomplishing something that's never been done before, um, which that even though I'm not like a rock climbing fan or anything like that novelty is definitely not lost on me. Uh, you know, it gives you a reason immediately to pay attention. Um, and also it made my hands sweat profusely. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which was an interesting, unique aspect of this film. Uh, what did you like about it? Uh, all the same things. Uh, cinematography is amazing. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And they really do a good job of pointing out just how sh how weird the whole situation is and how hard it is to film something like this. And it makes you really realize just how amazing they of a job they did when they made this movie. Um, it's really compelling and straightforward like concept. It's a guy who climbs really, really tall mountains without a rope. Like that's all you need to know, and you're already basically hooked. Um, and it's a great conversation starter. It, so many people have opinions about like how he is and what this kind of thing is and what free soloing means as like a as a sport. So um, it's a great way to start any conversation. What are the kind of things did you not like about it? Honestly, I, it was hard for me to find anything that I didn't like. I thought this movie was really well made, but something that I felt I they could have spent more time on was explaining exactly how they filmed the climb itself. They went into some detail. Um, allowing the film crew to be a part of the documentary. But when they talked about doing using remote cameras and you know finding ways to film him without him seeing them, I kind of wish that they'd explain that a little bit more because I was distracted during the climb itself. I was like, this is an amazing angle. How do they get this? Yeah. How, this looks like there's somebody right next to him climbing. Um, and it looked great. I mean, it's amazing what they did, but they dip their toes into explaining how that happened. But I wish that they had gone fully and, and um, explained a little bit more. Yeah, I 
I had a similar con in that I wish they had talked more about the technical aspects of the of the climb itself. One of the most interesting parts of the documentary for me was when he gets to that really hard part. He calls it the boulder problem or like the yes. Teflon corner. And he explains all the different things he has to do to get through it. And he explains why it's so hard. And when he gets to that point, that's one of the most tense moments in the whole thing because you don't know if he's going to make it or not. Right. And that's like the, you know, that's where he could fall and die. Um, if they had done that for other parts in the climb, then you, you would be on the, like the edge of your seat the whole time and be like, oh, wow, now he's doing this. I recognize that because they explained it so well earlier. As is, it's really more a story about him and his relationships than it is really about the climb that he, he attempts, even though that is like the focal point for this movie. So um, the other thing is you always have to ask this question whenever you watch a documentary, which is what's left out? You know, documentaries claim through a to assert, to have a certain amount of truth to them, but that's always going to be like not quite true. And they certainly have kind of an angle that they're going for to portraying Alex in a certain way. And I don't know if that's accurate or fair, but yeah. And you kind of have to have that kind of skepticism with any documentary. Yes. It's a healthy skepticism. Um, but yeah, all right, so let's go ahead and get into our overall section and talk about free solo. And the, the thing that's so compelling to me about free soloing is that, uh, and they say it in this film, it's seeking perfection. You can't free solo without doing it perfectly because any mistake means death, essentially, or horrible disaster. Right, it has to be perfectly executed every single time, exactly, right? No room for error, no room for distraction or anything. Um, yeah, I... Performing in that level, I can understand kind, that kind of idea, I guess, mm -hmm. of like putting yourself into that sort of situation in which you have to perform so, so well. And if you don't, then that's, that's it for you. Yes. Like I can understand that appeal, I guess, but that's about as far as it goes. Well, I just <laughs> think that it's easy to latch onto that idea no matter what you're interested in. You yeah. know, I, I might be a bigger football fan than rock climbing fan, but I can still recognize uh, you know, the pursuit of perfection when I see it. And that's exactly what free soloing is, which I thought was a really cool uh, concept. However, free soloing is not an idea that I really think is good. Like it's, it's <laughs> one of those things you're like, why are you even doing this? You know, you're taking such an unnecessary risk. Like they talk about how everybody that they knew that made free soloing a big part of their life is now dead. Uh, and then when they were showing all those different guys, it kind of reminded me of that scene from the Incredibles where he's scrolling through like all the heroes that, uh, the mo like the, the you know, Omnidroid killed. Yeah, the Omnidroid, yeah, fought, and it's like defeated, <laughs> you know, like the, the Omnidroid gets killed, and then that ends up, the new Omnidroid kills that superhero, because that's kind of how I see these guys, you know, almost as these, you know, these superheroes of rock climbing. They're well known to other rock climbers, but they all have this, you know, similar flaw is that what they do is super dangerous and could end at any moment. However, um, Alex was on the Joe Rogan podcast uh, talking after the release of this film and he mm -hmm. talked about how that is kind of a misdirection that they did in the documentary. Pro he said it was like probably the least accurate thing in the documentary because while those people that they showed all did free solo, most of them didn't die free soloing. Really? They died doing other dangerous extreme sports. So the movie was definitely pushing that narrative of like free soloing means death, which it does. But also, not all those people died free soloing. Well, not that many people try it either. Exactly. Yeah. It's not that many people are stupid. So that's the thing. Is like, <laughs> like when you first start the documentary, like you're like, oh, this is gonna be kind of a like a really well shot, beautiful story about this guy who's kind of obsessed, right? But as it goes along, you realize that he's kind of really crazy. Like mm -hmm. he's he's actually really nuts. 
and his relationships with like his family and like his friends and everything is is very strange and all these people care about him very deeply but he doesn't seem to like reflect that in his own way yeah you yeah. know it's, it's all very calculated there's that one little part where um he's in he's in bed and his friend tommy is next to him in the other bed and uh, he's writing in his journal, right? And his Tom, climbing journal. Yeah, yeah, and Tommy says, do you ever write in there, oh, I saw a cool deer or like, uh, you know, the weather was nice today or something. He says, no. Like, why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is kind of... Um, robotic. Yeah, yeah, robotic is yeah, exactly what I was going to say. He's like definitely a little different in the in his mind, which brings us to the CAT scan. Is that what it was? It was an MRI. MRI, yeah, where they basically... I don't know. I, I don't know how much I trust the limited part of the movie that they talk about this because they they basically only give you enough information to come to one conclusion is sure. that his amygdala needs more stimulation than the average amygdala, which doesn't take that much of a leap to go from there to be like, oh, that's why he does it because he needs to have this extreme sim- stimulation to reach the same level as other people do with their regular life. I felt like it was an explanation for how he does it in the first place. Okay. You know, like... Anyone else in that sort of situation would just freak out, you know, like it, the whole the pressure and all of that would just come down to that little moment and he would just get too nervous. Whereas he, it takes so much more for him to get to that point of fear that he's able to get into these like ridiculous situations and be okay, right? Because that's the thing like that's also so strange about him is that even when he's doing this thing that he's so passionate about that he loves, he never really gets that excited. Right. Right. He says, so delighted. That's all he says. Yes. That I almost felt like the ending was a little anticlimactic because I think maybe he knew that we wanted it. So he held it back. Yeah. But I kind of wanted to have this beautiful moment of him with his arms held high. Yeah. I conquered the mountain. Yelling or just have this very, you know, um, vulnerable moment. But it almost seemed like he was able to contain himself and keep his uh composure which is fine it's not a surprise at that point in the movie but at the same time it was a little anticlimactic yeah a little bit but it it was appropriate for how he set up the whole movie yeah yeah it's like only a guy who reacts like this (laughs) would even be capable of doing this but i uh, Uh, I want to talk about the amygdala a little bit more so um vsauce did a really interesting video called uh what's the scariest thing and they talked about the amygdala a bunch and how they're all connected like through this kind of he called it a web of fear because it was like this whole Halloween themed scary episode. Okay. Um, and yeah, it was really, really interesting. He, he talked about this, this person um, who has like an impaired amygdala and how like she doesn't have a fear response to anything. So oh, like, wow. so it's like, so people will come up to her, like try and like rob, like someone tried to mug her once and she like didn't react. She just like told him to go away. Basically, <laughs> Like she doesn't have a natural fear response. There was, there was one thing that they did that actually did make her afraid and so that was like their their defining feature is the scariest thing. But it was interesting to see this come back in here and talk about how your amygdala can be like trained almost to be less sensitive. And so things that normally would scare other people, like it takes a lot more to scare Alex. And he talks about how getting into that comfort zone is about doing that same thing over and over again, getting that repetitiveness. And then like teaching his brain and his body at the same time oh, this is normal, I'm okay, right? right? And that's how he's able to function in that. I don't know, that's pretty interesting. I wonder if that's true for like, if that was like a genetic thing, like he actually has a different type of thing going on in his head. Or, or if he's, he's it's trained. like a practice. Yeah. Exactly. Nature versus nurture. That's interesting. Um, well, I loved how it 
affected, I guess an argument for nature instead of nurture would be the, that he brought up that his ex-girlfriends all said that he had like a personality disorder. Yeah, yeah. And talk about validation for his ex-girlfriends where they're like, aha, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> the, his brain isn't lighting up like a normal brain. Yeah, I see. I wasn't crazy. This guy actually has something going on different. In his no, mind. they they definitely go out of their way to make it seem like he's abnormal. He's weird. Yes. And but I mean, I think to the to Jimmy and uh, Chai's like credit, when I watch when I finished this movie, I did not want to go rock climbing. Like, oh yeah, you know, like uh, you normally when you watch some like cool documentary about some cool like you know uh, hobby or interest or something that people do, you're like, oh man, maybe I should check that out. That sounds kind of cool. This did not make me want to do that. That is important to bring up because something like this, free soloing especially, it's dangerous to glamorize because yes. you're gonna inspire copycats and. I mean, you saw how nervous they were with probably the best free soloist ever in front of their cameras. Imagine how they would feel if they sent a whole bunch of idiots yes. who were like, I'm going to be the next Alex Honnold, and then a bunch of people die for no reason. So, um, yeah, I think that's an important distinction to make, that they didn't glamorize his pursuit. Well, let's talk about like the ethics behind filming him in the first place, okay. right? Because okay. that was something that, that Jimmy and his whole crew was really nervous about and you could see it like in their faces when alex is talking about doing this they would all look like they were sick to their stomach yes. it honestly did feel like it was somebody planning an elaborate suicide attempt that's and bringing all his friends in to help them that's how it felt. And they were all just like i don't know what to do you know like i i feel like i should stop him like but they also know that he's gonna do it no matter what they do yep. you know well, it's it's interesting because it adds an extra layer of complexity on top of what already is a very complex and difficult filming situation. Right. Because they, again, this is my con was I wish they had delved a little deeper into it because they had to be on like pulleys and hanging down beside him. And it's like they're holding all this gear and it looked and amazing. And they didn't even know when he was going to do it. Yeah, they had you know? to be ready. They just had to be ready all the time. And it, like one day he would just wake up and be like, all right, I guess today is the day. And, the, and then one time it was, and then it wasn't. He quit. <laughs> I loved the, uh, they pointed out that all of the film crew were professional climbers. Yes. Which is so cool. Like, um, Imagine to, getting the, like, like interviewing for that job. You know, it's like, we need someone who is really good with the camera and also really good at rock climbing. To be a professional at both and to somehow meld the two, that is really cool to me. Well, if you have, I think there's something really cool about how this movie like came together. Like, Alex is so dedicated to this. He is, you know, he spent months and months and months training on this. He climbed this, he's climbed this mountain so many times with a rope, and now he's going to climb it without one. He wants to make sure it's absolutely perfect, taking every precaution he possibly can, um, which I think is really admirable. But it also challenged everyone who was working with him to do the same thing. You know, Jimmy could spend literally two years getting whatever shots he wanted because he knew exactly where he was going to go, and. He was like, okay, we're gonna make the, we're gonna do everything right, right? We're gonna make sure everyone's in the right place. We're gonna make sure this one space he can't see us at all. We're out of his line of sight, you know. And we're gonna make sure we're far enough away that it's not gonna bother him. He's also not compromising his experience, which is really important. Like all of that came into consideration, and it came out so beautifully. Like it's it's awesome to think that because Alex is so like dedicated to something it inspires everyone around him to be also so dedicated to something and to have something amazing come out of it well, the way the story was told it felt like there were three like three parties involved yeah there was alex there was the crew and then there was us 
Like it almost made it made me feel like we were. It, it almost felt like there was a documentary about the filmmakers who were doing this thing. It kind of was a little bit. Well, sure, but also those filmmakers were the ones who were doing the recording. You know, <laughs> like it was so meta. Um, it, it again, I go back to the fact that I was distracted because I wish I knew more. Because I started to question if that was the actual case. Was that there's this third party that's filming the filmmakers who are filming the. That's the what I was thinking. Because there was that one guy who was on the ground, Mikey, right? Yes. Who couldn't even watch. Yes. He had the camera set up and there was a camera on him watching him not watching. Right. <laughs> so it's like, who's that guy who yeah. got tasked with doing that? Who's like, my job is to record you guys who are recording him. So there was, there's actually, I think there was two crews actually. Okay. I, I watched a uh, behind the scenes thing from the New York times uh, where they interviewed Jimmy and Chai. Um, and Alex was saying that well, he would climb up the mountain for like a few hours, whatever. And then all of the guys would be up there with their cameras. And then when he would get down, there'd be another fresh crew ready to film like all the beef, like the beef footage, you know? Yeah, like walking to and from. Right, and, yeah, in, his, yeah. in his van and with Sonny and everything. Dude, his van also had some really great shots. Like the morning of the actual climb, the real climb, Yeah, um, they had the camera set on him when he woke up. How do they do that? I don't think they did. I think they just filmed that before or after. Okay. You know, they're just like, okay, we're, like in order to better establish what's going on, we're going to... We're gonna have you get out of bed and like today at you know three p.m. and then we'll we'll film that and then we'll use that shot to do that and you just have to wear the same clothes or whatever. That sounds a little dishonest for a documentary. <laughs> That's how it's gotta be though, because how else would they how else would they do that? You can't put a camera in his van while he's sleeping like that. It'd be too distracting. Yeah, I agree. And like the way that was filmed was like from the back of the bed. Like it didn't even make sense from the from the logistics inside the van that the camera would even work there. So I, I feel like they probably did that after he finished. They're like, okay, we're going to have a shot of you getting out of bed and everything, wearing the same shirt or whatever. Dang. Okay. <laughs> I actually feel a little bit tricked now because I was like, wow, they must have really done some good stuff. Cause you know, you, you right. You recognize his level of concentration yeah. and, um, you know, willingness to go about it in his own way that you would feel like that would be a distraction but eh, a little movie magic you know it's okay it's okay. yeah a little fudge around the edges you yeah know? yeah it tells a compelling story i mean i mean they i mean he only climbed up half the mountain and then they they, they cgi'd him doing the rest right of it, so. right yeah <laughs> <laughs> um oh, let's talk about uh sonny yes i did want to go i was um you know, we were talking about all the girlfriends that had to deal with him in the past. Let's talk about the one that was with him during this movie. Yes. And I thought it was inter intru interesting that they introduced her by referencing the way that she kind of had a hand in Alex's injury. Hmm. It immediately put her at odds with his goals. It made it obvious that having a girlfriend, having a love life at all, is a hindrance to this pursuit of perfection. Well, they say that multiple times. When they first start, right, they talk, ask Alex about his girlfriends or, like, past relationships, and he's always said that, like, climbing is more important to me than having a relationship. Yeah. And he talks to, and then they have the interview with Tommy, which is one of Alex's, uh, like, climbing partners and one of his idols. He also says, like, you can't have that. Like, in order to have the armor necessary to do something like this, you have to leave all of that behind and not and not think about it, and not care about it, um, which is like heartbreaking, especially since Sonny is so sweet and cute. Yeah. Like I hate seeing her like kind of messed around like this. But also like, what's interesting is that she she kind of met him as kind of a fan. Not exactly. She knew what she was like who he was. Right. Yeah. There, it would be totally unfair for of her to come into this and then ask him to change because the reason that she fell in love with him in the first place is because of the person he was when they first met. Right. So like she has no room to stand on and she knows that if she says the wrong thing then he's just going to leave her. 
right? And it's going to be, that's not going to be a second thought to him because he knows what his priorities are. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's pretty obvious that if he were to be like, okay, even though I obviously want to do this, I'm not going to do it because you're worried about me. He would end up presenting her. You know, nobody wins in that situation, especially with how obviously he is committed to his goals. So even, um, let's talk about his, the way he dealt with the death of Uli, his friend. It was interesting that he was able to process it so quickly. He was almost like a psychopath with how he was just like, <laughs> okay, well, that's... Well, that's, I, I, that's the thing is like, I think, I really do believe that Alex has a healthy relationship with death in a way mm-hmm. where he's actually kind of confronted the idea of him dying. Unlike, like, it's one thing to say, like, I'm, I'm prepared to die. You know, like, if I was in a situation with a gun to my head, I would be totally cool and collected. You know, <laughs> but, like, if you're, not in, you're never, if you're not in that situation, you never know how you're going to react. Right. He puts himself in those kind of situations a lot when he's free soloing. And so he comes to that. You know, all he can do is up there is think and focus and, and worry, right? So he's got to have some sort of method of dealing with the idea that he might die but the way he does that is just being okay with that. Yes. Right? He says, maybe today's not going to be my day. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I'm perfectly safe in every way I can. But the, really the safest thing to do is just not do it. But I'm not not going to do that. So, like, maybe this isn't going to work out and maybe I'm going to die. But that's okay because I was pursuing something that was important to me. And I, you know, I didn't sit back and let this conquer me uh, without me at least fighting back a little bit. Yes. So, well, in, in going back to Uli, when he's talking to um, Sani about it, mm-hmm. he says, what did she expect? His girlfriend, Uli's girlfriend, um, obviously being distraught that Uli's dead. But Alex is like, what did she expect? She was dating Uli, you know? And even though Sani definitely doesn't like hearing that from him, because she's like, how am I supposed to react to hearing yes. that? But at the same time, I agree with him. I'm like, yeah. That comes with the territory. He's not hiding who he is. This is very, um, you know, an uh, like a very possible outcome of what he does. Yeah, but I also feel like you shouldn't treat people like that. <laughs> well, it, it made me. I wasn't sure watching this if they were going to stay in a relationship. I wasn't sure if that was going to be part of it because it. I felt like the two couldn't exist together. The like I'm willing to throw not throw my life, but I'm w- willing to risk my life for perfection um, versus like being in a relationship where you, you know, the nature of being in a relationship is you have to make sacrifices right. for the relationship. And, um, you know, giving up this death defying activity was a non-starter. So I didn't see how they could coexist. Well, they, he did give up some things. I mean, they got an apartment together. Right. Um, and, you know, so he moved out of the van. Um, and I, and she talks about how she started moving him toward being like a more normal person yes. and like expressing himself like more healthily, yes. which is, which was good too. And like, no, I, I like he needs that kind of support, I think in order for him to do like things like this or to, to be a, like a fulfilled person. I think it, you have to have people that love you and care about you and are willing to to push you in a direction that's more healthy for you because sometimes you can't make those decisions for yourself. But I don't know, like, uh, I, I, like it really upset me watching like Sonny and his relationship just because like I could never treat someone who I was in love with that way, you know, yes. we're like, so non, no, so like not, not non-committal, but like, uh, unwilling to acknowledge that they're terrified. Right. Right. To the like to the point where I'm not going to do anything about it. And I understand his point of view or like this is like you came into this like 
you know, you're just a, like a leaf in the tree and I'm the tree. Like you could be gone tomorrow and it, it doesn't matter. And I'm always going to be the kind of person that's going to want to do these things. But I don't, uh, but at the same time, it's like, there's not that much give and take for that either. Right. There's not a lot of room for him to change if his goal is to continue to do right. uh, these free solo things. I mean, it's, I mean, he expresses how he doesn't think his own death would actually be that important, where if he dies, people would be sad, but then they'd move on and life would continue. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think that is how he genuinely feels about Sonny. It's not that he doesn't care that she's scared. It's that maybe he feels like she's irrationally scared, that it, his she feels like his death would be the end of the world for her, For but he's like, it actually wouldn't. You would get over it and your life would continue You'd be fine. And I don't think that's true. No. Uh, but he... I think starts to recognize that the more this documentary goes on, he starts to become a little bit more emotionally intelligent. Although I thought it was funny um, that between like tr- attempting the climb and not doing it and actually doing it in between there, he goes house shopping with Sonny and which is kind of a boring part of the documentary if I'm being honest but like they kind of show him way outside of his element yes. where he's kind of living the suburban life and like buying a refrigerator and I they didn't say this or really even imply this but I felt like he was like this is what regular life is like you know what? I, I'll risk it I don't care <laughs> I'm not scared anymore <laughs> so he was willing to go through with it after that um, oh, man. but I, I did, it was part of this, um, just going going into this documentary, I didn't know anything. Didn't know who Alex Honnold was. Didn't know if he was even still alive. Like when I was watching it, I was like, A, am I going to see this guy die in this? And B, even if he survives this, is he dead now? You know? So yeah. um, that w- that added a lot of tension to what I was watching. But if you look up uh, like Alex Honnold on Google, what are some of the things that autofill in is like death? Right, or yes. like, did he die yep. and shit like that. So The fact that he was still, I was like, good, he's still alive. No, no, I, de- I, I was thinking that, but I was like, I definitely would have heard, seen headlines about a documentary where the subject of the documentary dies. Like, I swear I saw a headline somewhere recently about a f- prominent free solo climber dying not that long ago. So I, I was think, like... I think I saw that too, actually. Right, so I was like, oh my gosh, is that him? Because like, uh, I'll be, I'll be honest. It is kind of like <laughs> tantalizing to be like, oh, am I gonna see somebody well, that's the thing di- that, important die? No, that's you know? what, that's the hook. Is like, it is super dangerous. It's it's ludicrous of an idea, and this guy's gonna put his whole life on the line for something that is pretty much inconsequential. You know, like, what's he gonna get from this exactly? Like, like, but. Even if he didn't climb El Cap by the end of the movie, like you still would have gotten a really good sense of who he was and the kind of person he was and how dedicated he was and how amazing he is. Yeah. Right. So uh, all of that kind of stuff, like uh, the El Cap stuff is kind of just icing on top in a way, even though it's like where everything happens in the focus of the movie. Yeah. yeah. It's not really the most important thing. Especially because going into this, he was already a celebrity for free soloing. Like all those interviews at the beginning really drive that idea across that he already is one of the most accomplished people in his field el cap definitely being you know the pinnacle of it but Mm -hmm. he already had accomplished a lot at that point um so i want to focus in on his decision not to climb that first time okay and i like to look at the journey of people who accomplish great things and try to learn from that you know and try to draw inspiration from it and i want to just like reflect on that and see if there's anything we can learn from it because i thought it was really 
I don't know if brave is the right word, but it, it was comforting to see somebody who asks so much of themselves and works so hard to accomplish their goals. Um, it was so, you know, it was interesting to see a person like that say, I'm not ready. I can't do this. I'm going to essentially quit for now. And it goes against everything that we saw from him up until that point to a certain extent. I don't know if I believe that because I have this quote later. Yeah. We can can do it right now if you want. I think that he's only comfortable climbing in front of the camera or in front of any other people when he's really confident and secure. And that's been the dilemma that this whole production has faced, right, from the beginning. Our being there is always going to change things. What made the big difference for me is that he did turn around last year. He didn't feel the pressure to have to do it because we were there. And I really, like, that to me said a lot. This is a quote from Jimmy and one of the other uh, guys there, Mike. Um, And I think Jimmy brings up a really good point here. It's like, if they, them filming was a huge pressure, then he would have done it that day. But he felt comfortable getting all his friends together, doing this whole thing, building up to this moment, and then saying no. You know, like he didn't, he didn't feel bad about quitting uh, and disappointing everyone around him, especially since I think he, had, at least at a certain level, recognized the stress he was putting them through and like realizing that, you know, if like he owes it to them to do it the best he can. Right. And if he doesn't do that, then it's not going to be good. Because something else that I think he says it in the documentary, but he may have said it in the behind the scenes, was um, that he really didn't want to die in front of his friends. Right. More than just like he didn't want to slip and fall. It was like the idea of like giving that trauma to the people that he loves was something that he was that that was what he was really afraid of. And that was the added pressure from the cameras and stuff is that if he fell by himself, then like he would die and they would find out and they'd be sad. But if they had to witness it and have to deal with that firsthand, it'd be so much, so much harder. Yeah. I feel a lot in my life that I don't like to, you know, quote unquote, chicken out of things, you know, um, especially if I've said I'm going to do it. I, I, like, even if I get scared at the last minute, I'm like, I have to be brave and push through it. Um, but I feel like... I don't know exactly what, like, if there's a hard rule to learn here or like a strict, like a concrete lesson. Um, but I just think it, it is interesting to see somebody who has this level of achievement who's willing to say that and say, no, I can't. Even though we've set up all this stuff, we trained all summer, now we're going to have to wait till next year to do it, but I'm still not going to do it. I mean, it's, I, I think at a certain point, it doesn't matter. Like, I think we are way too willing to judge people by results than by their process. Right. Yeah. definitely. who cares if Alex Holland climbed El Cap in 2016 or in 2017, right? The fact is that he climbed it like just because he went to that edge and then he wasn't able to do it one time. Right. Doesn't mitigate what he did the next year. He, He didn't, he didn't do anything differently. In my opinion, he didn't compromise on what he believed and he did the best he could. And he spent the amount of time he needed to accomplish this thing, which has always been the goal was mapping it out so perfectly. Yeah. Um, Cause that's what the majority of the documentary is, is him mapping out his route. So like, I think we're, I think when you see other people, you're way more willing, like other people's accomplishments, you're way more willing to say, Oh, like they just did it. 
But that's not true. There's all of this stuff and time and practice that goes into just doing that thing. And all that preparation and everything uh, like, is part of that process. And you're, will, you're judging yourself by the amount of preparation you're doing towards something, not by the results, whereas you're judging other people by their results and not their preparation. Right. You can only see the results. Right. Know, like- and so that's why I say, like, who cares what, how long it takes you to do it as long as you do it eventually, right? Who cares if Alex Holland cut it in 2016 or 2017? doesn't matter. He eventually did it. I think the real, I think I guess the bigger question is like, at what point do you say enough is enough and you stop trying altogether, right? Yes. And that's, I think that's part of it too, is that he'd been building towards this for so long. I think that that adds to the weight of we've done all the preparation. I like all I have left to do now is to do it. Yeah. And he's still willing to take that, um, take his foot off the gas and say, no, not yet. Um, I, I just, I thought it was really cool. And it all, I mean, if this was a movie, this would definitely be a criticism. I'd be like, oh, they, they didn't need to stretch out the movie like this. But <laughs> they're just telling the actual story. Um, and because I was surprised that he was climbing it so early in the, because about the one hour mark when he yeah, yeah, yeah. backs down uh, and it's an hour and 40 mo- um, minute movie. So, um, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting. It was so, so something I definitely didn't expect to see, um, so, which makes him kind of an interesting guy. Definitely. But, Moving forward, I want to talk about his nonprofit, the Honold Foundation, um, where he go he promotes solar energy in developing countries. And on the Joe Rogan podcast, he talked about his frustration with how slowly the world is adopting solar energy, how we're so stuck in our ways with the way that we produce energy, and how we're eventually going to go to solar because it's so cheap and easy. But you know, we're just going so slowly. So not only is his foundation bringing solar energy to places in the world where he said there's about a billion people on the earth that have no access to power. And he sees that as human potential that's just being wasted. So he wants to help those people. But it was interesting that he talked about how he wants his foundation to be more about um, publicizing these problems and you know, bringing more attention to them as opposed to trying to solve it all himself. He talks about how he's never going to have as much money as like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And he feels like he's better suited to uh, you know spread a message as opposed to actually sink a bunch of funds into a real foundation he has he talked about his income in a broad sense to the high school kids yeah saying that he makes about as much as a moderately successful dentist which i googled their like dentist salaries and uh it's somewhere between a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year which is good income but not definitely not going to be able to save the world by yourself on that kind of money right well i think i think he makes a good point right like spreading the message out there is always going to get you it's probably going to get you more and spending that money that you would have spent like buying solar panels on like marketing and trying to get other people to donate might actually net you more than what you put in, right? Right. I mean, that's the, that's the strategy of marketing. So yeah, I feel like that's pretty smart. Uh, one thing I saw from the Honold Foundation website is it has like a quote at the top in the about section. It says, we believe that small deliberate steps can help us achieve audacious goals. Which I felt like was pretty audacious. It's pretty, uh, pretty appropriate for his own kind of philosophy of a taking small, deliberate steps of a mountain. Wow, so, I like that. It's pretty cool. It is. It is nice to see him, a person who kind of, you know, you could argue seems a bit self-centered with the way that he, you know, 
goes about like his own life but it's nice to see him do something important like that you know try to make a difference for other people that he doesn't even know um he, well he is i mean you say he's like pretty self-obsessed or whatever like narcissistic but he's definitely self-aware um you know to almost to a point he's very introspective and very quiet and reserved well he is also environmentally conscious yes which is intru- like well it makes sense as a person who's like very nature and like lives in the woods right right <laughs> um but yeah, it, it just, yes, I think self-conscious is probably the better way to do it. Because he also talked about his diet with Joe Rogan. Yeah. And talked to him about how he doesn't eat meat uh, in his own diet, but he's traveled the world. And when he's you know experiencing another country's culture, he will eat meat because he just wants to experience the culture. It's not right. necessarily that he's going to swear off of it. It's just he wants to minimize his impact. And also he's morally opposed to it, which he talks about in the film. Yeah. Um, which I, I thought was pretty interesting. So a um, couple more things. I really liked the parallel between free solo culture and warrior culture. Okay. Because especially when he did the example with the samurai sword, because um, it, it samurai are really cool. <laughs> so to be able to compare yourself to that um, is is really it's a, it's really nice because uh, the the whole metaphor of like the the finest blade, the one that you only use in like actual combat, and going for this amazing climb because when the samurai is using that blade he knows he might die while he's using it but that's the whole thing that's the whole experience (laughs) that's the essence of being a warrior is that you're putting your life on the line and while it's not quite as noble because you're kind of just volunteering to climb a rock wall versus like you know defending or conquering i still really liked that comparison yeah i think it's pretty cool i have a quote for that too but she sees things in a different way For Sonny, the point of life is like happiness. To be with people that make you feel fulfilled and to have a good time. For me, it's all about performance. The thing is, anybody can be happy and cozy. Nothing good happens in the world by being happy and cozy. You know, like nobody achieves anything great because they're happy and cozy. Um, when he then from there he leads into his warrior culture metaphor, right? Um, and I don't, like, what do you think of that idea? Oh, I d- totally disagree. <laughs> I think being happy and cozy is an achievement, right? And life is tough. There's a lot of um, reasons to be down and not happy and not cozy. And I think people who are able to achieve that should be proud of that. You're living a good life, you know? Yeah, but I think the point he's making is that like they're. There are two ends, two opposite ends of the road that you could reach, right? One is like great performance changing the world. The other is being happy and cozy for yourself. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of back to his, what we were just talking about, about his impact on the world or him trying to impact the world. It's like I can I can sit there and just kind of roll in my dough or I could do more with it, you know, and try to help other people that don't need it. It's going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to have a bigger impact than just me being happy and cozy. Maybe because you could also, it depends what happy and cozy really means. If happy and cozy means living by yourself and having like a weighted blanket, then yeah, he's right. <laughs> but if it means being a family man and raising a family and, and having a low risk life where you, uh, you know, express your love for others and raise a family, I don't think that that's inherently worse than performance in life. Yeah. And doing something where everyone can be in awe of your achievement. I think there's a lot to be in awe of, of being a happy, cozy, 
you know, individual who just lives in their community. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Definitely. I think his obsession with performance is a little, is, is, it's not just weird, but I also feel it's unhealthy. Um, and for me at least, like I can't be the most I can be without having some level of happiness or coziness. You know, I have to be comfortable in a situation in order to like do anything and putting my, making myself miserable, just Put, makes it harder for me to get to the point where I can make something happen. I mean, it goes back to our Frank episode, right? Where like they said, they talk about how uh, the trauma that he faced as a child only held him back. It didn't aid him in his ability to do things that are great. Yeah. Well, I also don't feel like I, I don't like ranking them or, or, or putting them um, opposed to each other. Sure. Because I think that one person can live a happy, cozy, low-risk life where they focus on other things. Um, that can be just as valuable or you know, valuable in a different way than somebody who becomes the first to free solo El Cap. Like it's not, I don't wanna look at either one and say, you chose incorrectly. You right. can still live a fulfilling, fulfilling uh, life going your own direction. And I don't like this comparison to say, oh, the one I'm doing is the best one. It might be best for me, but it shouldn't be some sort of hard rule. Because imagine if everyone just was like, oh, every nothing else matters. We're all obsessed with rock climbing. <laughs> that would be terrible. That would be like a huge waste what if of you human were, potential. I mean, what if everyone was obsessed with changing the world, you know, of being more, I don't know, impactful with their stuff instead of being so selfish it's a big what if because it, it, you have to ask what that means right? right for me it might mean something different like changing the world in a positive way might be changing the world in a negative way for somebody else right their, their vision of what i think is changing the world in a positive way could be the exact opposite of what they think needs to happen right um i don't know i feel like that's too broad of a question really to to drill down into it's i don't like that he he values his own choices and that I agree that they're better for him, mm -hmm. but I don't want to devalue the low risk, you know, nerfy life of a normal person because I think there's still a lot of value in that. Yeah. Um, the climb itself. I, there's a lot in this movie, but obviously the, the climax is the actual climb. It's pure adrenaline. It's the why this is because this um, episode was actually um, somebody DM'd us. Um, I'm gonna have to throw that in at the beginning, but they want. They said you need to do an adventure doc. That'd be something you guys haven't done yet. And I was like, what's an adventure doc? And if you Google adventure doc, this is the first thing that comes up. I see. But it's this is uh, this sequence. I think is what turns it into an adventure doc because it is definitely a documentary. But this extreme sports and the way it's portrayed. It's action. It's, it's an adventure. And this is the part of the movie where my hands were sweating like no other. <laughs> I was honestly kind of blown away. Like I kept on touching my hands to like other parts of my body. I'm like, am I imagining this? Am I actually <laughs> sweating this much? It's, it was all clammy and gross. Like uh, if you're a kid trying to get out of school and you're trying to convince your mom that you're sick. Just watch this movie. Watch Free Solo. Like, mom, I don't feel good. Touch feel my, my hands. hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I totally agree. I mean, it's it's... Again, like I wish there was a little bit more technical aspect to it because the context just isn't quite there for me. And like, I knew he was gonna do it. I knew all of that and everything. I knew he wasn't gonna die. So I was like, I was still like, like, like on the edge of my seat, and I was still watching, captivated. But there was, I would feel like I could have gotten more out of it if I knew more about what was going on. Well, let me let me um, go back to what you said earlier. Was the Boulder problem? Right. You said that. Um, 
Well, I think that is something we could have had more of. Yes. Was this detailed breakdown of what it takes to accomplish? Because I, I was you know taking notes while I was watching this, and in my notes, I when he did the karate kick, I was like, nice karate kick. You know, like <laughs> I I was commenting. No, in I my definitely mind. I said like, that. Well um, executed karate. That's kick. That's what I said too. Like, all right, thumb switch, switch feet, karate kick. You yeah, know? <laughs> it's like he's doing great. You know, as yeah. a person who knows a little bit about the boulder problem, I can tell that he's actually executing this perfectly. And it would have been nice to know a little bit more about that because I definitely felt like for me that was the climax of the climb. Oh yeah, as opposed to the you know him actually, which actually it. might have been the like the climax of the climb. You know, because the other parts weren't as hard uh, yeah. necessarily. Um, but there, I mean, there's a lot of other parts that were challenging too. And I wish I kind of gotten a little bit more with that. You do see some things about like how there's basically no handholds on the whole freaking mountain and how he's basically standing on nothing the whole time, yes. which is so crazy. The way his shoe, like they would show that it would be like just the tip of his toe against the, the wall. Yeah. It gets the tiniest thing or whatever. And, and it's he, his whole weight on it. He's holding on by like the tip of his finger, like this whole freaking body. Yep. God, it's crazy. And there's that one part where he's in the crack, right? And mm-hmm. he feels like the whole mountain is freaking crushing him. That's what he says. He has to put, <laughs> he has to wedge his whole body into the crack and like shimmy up it. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, it was cool. And um, I I loved the, when they said Alex is having the best day of his life. Yes, I I I think that's a really powerful thing to say while he was doing this. When I when he finishes the climb, I re- you really get a sense of, like you see the whole mountain and everything. You really get a sense that like of what it means to like conquer a mountain yeah you know uh-huh. like it's so amazing to think like like imagine like you're a mountain right and like you're a giant you're this big old thing of rock and there's these little humans that walk around and whenever they see you they're like whoa that's big how do i get around that you know and then you try and find another way and then there's this one little guy who just goes straight through it you know he just goes up it and keeps going and never stops and it's like like you as the mountain, like there's nothing I could have done. Defeated. You know, yeah, I. <laughs> this guy got me this time. You know. Yes, I. <laughs> I love that. And again, I'm not like a rock climbing enthusiast, but it felt powerful to be able to say. Oh that. yeah. Um, I. I made me think. I was like, "What is the best day of my life?" And I don't know. I. I don't <laughs> like the word best. Um, like best friend. I don't like doing that either because I feel like it devalues all the other good friends or good days that you have had. But I think it's also powerful to have a day you can point to and be like, that's definitely the best day of my my whole, I worked for years on this and it all went according to plan. All that paid off and I had the best day of my life. Do you have a best day in mind? No, I don't. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know. It's a disappointing <laughs> answer because it makes it sound like my life has just been boring and mundane the whole time. I have a lot of days that I remember very fondly, um, but I don't know if I have one that sticks out <laughs> above is like, that's the day. That was like, all the other days could fall away as long as I still have that day. I'm He's still not me. willing to commit to just one day. I'm here, not. You know? Yeah. You're not the one day. He's I, not willing to say those words. Okay. Here's, here's how I feel about this. Um, Jimmy V, uh, I, he's a... I can't remember what his significance is, but he was a guy who was like during uh, his cancer treatment, right before he died, he gave this one last speech and he talked about what it meant to have a perfect day. And he said, a perfect day is a day where you laugh, you cry, and you think. And so I think about that a lot. And on days when I cry, I'm like, oh, did I laugh today? Did I, you know, because usually, did I I think today? Uh, Usually crying is like the limiting factor. And then I think about that and then I'm like, oh, you know, like 
now I finally had a complete day because I did all three of those things. And that's like, that's enough for me to be like, ah, you know, I can look back on this day and be like, today was a good day because I did all three of these things. I went through the full range of emotion that I could mm-hmm. have, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't matter if I'm crying because I'm sad or crying because I'm happy. You know, it, it's something in there that brings me to that level of emotion and then also like makes me laugh out loud and also makes me like consider something differently. Like all, like having all of that happen in one day makes it a good day. And so I have many perfect days, many best days because yes. of Yes, yeah. Well, and partially I, I think maybe there is... Um, I, I could take more time to reflect on my own life. And maybe if I did that more often, I could point to days where I'm like, that's probably a contender for best day. But I also feel like having a best day in your past implies some sort of um, decline. Finality, yeah. Yeah, where you, you're you like, I already did the best day and now I'm just waiting for the clock to run out. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I think it's easy for them to point at his. And maybe if you asked Alex, he would say, it's actually not the best day of his life. You know, maybe he would have some sort of other um, perspective on it. Um, but I, I'll, there's also something powerful in just having a goal for a really long time and finally accomplishing that and having everybody bear witness. You know, oh, that's yeah. got to be a pretty good day. I, I bet it is. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, at the very end, right, did you catch that? Where he, they ask him what's next and he says, oh, I don't know, maybe, you know, something. Well, I remember him talking at the beginning. Yes. Where they said... So what about El Cap? Are you going to free solo El Cap? And he would always kind of say... Non-committal. Nah. Like, no, nah, I don't know. Maybe. But he knew he was going to. Yes. So it's... Yeah, I, I like that. Like, it makes me think there's more to it. Oh, I definitely. mean, he's definitely doing more stuff. Uh, he still is on social media. He's still doing adventure stuff. So it's not... Um, you know, this may not be the <laughs> the peak for Alex ah. Honnold, <laughs> Um, Even though it definitely seems like it, it is. Um one more thing I wanted to say is I just really enjoyed all the names of the pitches on uh, Freerider going up El Cap. We had the Boulder Problem, the Teflon Corner, Down Climb, Monster Off With, Traverse, Hollow Flake, and Enduro Corner. Those are just the ones they mentioned in the film. Uh, it's, there's definitely even more on the actual route itself. I just love that the naming convention is like it's descriptive, but also um almost describes the level of difficulty alongside it oh yeah like i um i did a lot of backpacking when i was in boy scouts as a kid and i went uh on some pretty long hikes and a lot of them it's there's you don't really name every single trail like a lot of them are just like named after the area that it's in but there was this one in philmont new mexico there was this part of a trail it was called seven tenths of hell I believe. Um, and it was some fraction of hell. And it was this all uphill portion that's through a bunch of like low brush, like briars and stuff. And it's just the worst hike ever. And it's named the seven tenths of hell because the whole time your legs are burning and you're getting all cut up and scraped and you're carrying everything on your back while you're going up it. So I kind of identified with this idea of naming the portions of the climb exactly how difficult and and imposing they are as you have to traverse i wonder how that's like how that's taught you know like if you go if you go and like try and replicate alex's route right like i guess you probably watch him do it or like there's some sort of video that shows somebody doing it or maybe somebody has it mapped out and they have it all named but i wonder how those names get stuck you know and how like you know, people have competing names for the same trails and stuff. Well, um, when I was r- r- looking up more pitches, 
it was the website I was looking at, remember, but it was saying that the classic route, Freerider on El Cap, people who are familiar with this rock wall were you know, referencing it as if it's some old legend. Mm. So maybe it's kind of a first come, first serve kind of deal where if you do it, you get to name it, which uh, I, I think is pretty cool. Yes. I, I, I liked that they... Uh, talked a little bit about the history of rock climbing because there's this lineage of rock climbers that have led up to this moment. Guys who saw El Cap and were like, that is impossible. <laughs> we'll never do it. And now it's gone It's gone on so long and been passed down through generations who have inspired the next generation to eventually achieve more. Which, going back to what he says at the end, he talks about the potential of inspiring somebody else who will you know, outdo him. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. I mean, being outdone, you know, obviously you want to be the best, but I think it's also cool to be the inspiration for the next best. Do you want to move on to our quotes? Yes, let's do some quotes. So this is talking about basically what you just said. How many times have you climbed Melkamp? Probably like 40-something maybe. You ever free solo? No, nobody has. Why haven't you done it yet? I look at it. Like, I mean, you know, I think about it. It's freaking scary. I don't know, so I mean, I've thought about this since 2009. Like, each year since 2009, I've been like, this is the year. And then each year I climb it, and I'm like, this isn't the year. Like, this is fucked. You know, and so I'm like, ah. But the thing is, I'll never be content unless I at least put in the effort. Because, like, if I do all the work and I'm still like, this is messed up, then maybe it's just not for me. Maybe it's future generation, you know? Or maybe just somebody who has nothing to live for. First of all, um, on, on Disney+, Plus, this part is edited slightly so that he doesn't use the F word. Um, but what it, does it just <laughs> say uh, messed up and you can tell his lips. Oh, really? That's yeah. funny. It's like ADR over it, even though like that part has two different pieces of audio. You can kind of tell by the way it's cut. Um, it, even in that part, it's like fluctuates a little bit. Cause right. it's like recorded afterward. Um, <laughs> uh, I really like this, like from this perspective that he has of like someone is eventually going to do this. Um, and it also kind of hints at his own kind of instability in his own mind, right? There's that part where he's doing the ment- like the mental health test or whatever, and they ask him if he's depressed, and he's like, hmm. He doesn't like quite answer it on screen. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing here where he's sort of implying like, oh, like, you know, if I don't do this, then I don't have anything to live for in a way. Like, like how like, the difference between – the line between like um, recklessness and like – I guess determination. Yeah. It's really, really thin. Mm-hmm. And he knows he's riding that and that anyone looking in on this can easily make the argument that he's just being reckless with his own life. Um, but yeah, no, I thought those was a great, a I like great that. snapshot of his mentality. Right. His self-awareness, I think, is the most interesting part. It's that he's willing to continue with this mindset, even though it's kind of, it's pretty obvious that he recognizes how dangerous it is well that's the thing is like well first of all like as a person you're able to convince yourself of literally anything like we see this with anyone you know but he's also kind of gone through it in a way right he's accepted this and like as accepted death or the possibility of death as an inevitability and used that to help him be even better right and uh, that that's not it can't be an easy thing to do but it's only possible if you're as you know self-aware as alex is i want to like i want to have this more like holistic approach that you have where you're like well we're all gonna die like might as well do what we want to do while we're here and it's okay when people die but i feel like i want you to meet me halfway and when you solo to take me into the equation 
and then I think is you there said a question? some. There's going to be. I am. Um, would putting me into the equation actually ever change anything? Would you actually make decisions differently? If I had some kind of obligation to maximize my lifespan, then like yeah, obviously I'd have to give up soloing. I don't. Was me asking you? Do you see that as an obligation now? Uh, no. Um, I know. First of all, I just want to mention that transcribing this documentary is different than transcribing, um, uh, like other movies because they talk like regular people and they have lots of filler words. Yes. So it's <laughs> like, it's, it's a lot of likes and uh, abouts and everything, right. which is, uh, just kind of funny. Repetition. Yeah. Saying no more than and once. And so when you type it out to like, when we type it out for the scripts and stuff, it's always like... <laughs> Just a little bit weird. <laughs> like, how do I even say this out loud right. to make it sound coherent? Anyway, um, uh, this is a, kind of a focal point of the movie too. It's the difference between how Sonny sees this situation and how Alex sees the situation. Um, and his kind of blunt honesty here where she says, like, like would you, would taking me into that equation uh, which I felt like the worst, the use of the word equation there was really purposeful as well because she knows how calculating he is. But she says, um, would putting me into the equation change anything? And he says, uh, no. And, but then he goes on to explain that, like, I'm being as careful as I can. Like, yeah. There's nothing that I could be doing that I won't do. Right. Right. So you asking me to be safer, like... I am being safer. I'm being as safe as I possibly can. Obviously, the safest thing to do is just to not do it, but that's just not an option for me. Right, right. Um, I don't know. It's it's. It was interesting seeing her reach out so far to try to get him to kind of admit that he like cares about her, and for him to still say nothing and not like you know she's going ninety percent, and he's not even going to reach the rest of the way across. Yeah, yeah. Well, it almost feels like there's this perfect spot you can get to where you're like, I don't care if I die, which is what gives me the ability to climb this rock wall. Right. To, it gives me that fearlessness to be able to say, I don't care if this kills me. But if you admit, he even calls it the L word early in the movie. If you admit that you Lesbian? love somebody. <laughs> you admit, Lesbians. If you admit that you love someone, if you accept that in, you know inside of like how you personally feel, then... Um, it robs you of that ability to say, I don't care if I die. Cause it's not up to you. It's not just you anymore. Yes. It's now you're including this other person. Um, and he, like he says, it's like, if he was going to try to maximize his lifespan, which is what you would do for someone that you love, um, he would have to give up free soloing. And obviously that's, an, that's not going to happen. Exactly. It's, I don't know. It's, it's one of my favorite aspects of this whole thing. It, it makes it way more compelling that he has this decision to make as to whether it be a heartless robot or, um, you know, give up soloing so that he can be it's in love. It's so hard to like reconcile it in your head. You know, it's like, it, it really does feel like you're holding two conflicting thoughts in your brain at the same time. It, it's like hard to wrap your head around. Well, I think it's definitely a part of part of the reason why what he does is so interesting because there's so many other people who want to achieve great things, but aren't willing to die for it exactly you know? um and not to say that they're cowards in any way but they just aren't as one track minded they yes. want more out of life than just that accomplishment so um but they don't have a adventure doc about them right Th so. that's right <laughs> so who's the real loser um all right next quote pitch one to stay left towards the top splitter feels more secure pitch two trust right foot rock on trust the feet right hand to the last undercline 
Eight, easy romp, go fast. Nine, stay outside with the down climb, careful of blocks. Pitch 26, so lie back and up the corner. Key left hand pinch thing, right foot back step on a little edge, left foot pace against the wall, stand up. Left hand to the huge ear jug thing, switch the feet, match the big jug. Left foot jams into the crack. Then you see right hand down pulling on the top part of the jug. Left hand goes into this flared slot thing, which you can either fist jam or hand jam. Either way, it's like a flare jam in the slot. Sag down onto it. Right hand crosses under to an underplane side pull. Right foot. So I really love this part of it. Like we talked about earlier, we wanted to get a little bit more into the technical side of the climb. And while this is more of just like spouting jargon, it doesn't actually really explain it to you. It's still really cool to get to see how granular the plan is for his climb and how um, at certain parts he talks about like underlining things and writing them in bold like it's super important that you get your left hand like jammed in the jug and the right hand in the slot and well it's so funny that like he has certain words for certain things and then other things he's like it's like it's like a flange type thing like <laughs> he doesn't know how to describe it yeah and that's really one of my favorite things about um climbing on a rock wall that's not in a gym is that it is so variable you know it's so uh, hard to define because it's just nature yeah it's not as um you know it's not as defined right well that means like you have you really have to adapt to your environment more than you know the environment has been built for you right so right. all right joey that's the end of our quotes i believe you know what time it is it's time for us to go a little higher, higher. all right and I, I was excited that we were talking about rock climbing because i actually have somewhat of a background with rock climbing oh do you i do when I was in Boy Scouts, we we did a lot of rock climbing outings where we'd go to the rock climbing gym, and I was always such a coward. I'm a, like, I wouldn't say that I'm like afraid of heights to the point where like it stops me from going up on high places. I actually find high places very thrilling, um, but it does scare me. Like uh, roller coasters, I love roller coasters, but part of the reason I love them is because I genuinely get frightened when I'm at the top. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so high up here. So rock climbing has always been something that has been a thrill. Uh, you know, such a thrill that I, you have to convince me to do it because normally I'm like, nah, I'll pass. Mm. So uh, when I got to college, I was taking Calculus 2 and, you know, Calculus 2 freshman year, so adjusting to college, certain things, you know, didn't go my way and I needed to pick up an extra class uh, to kind of, you know, keep my GPA uh, intact and I had to sign up for a half semester course. And the only half semester course that fit into my schedule was Rock Climbing 101. Oh, really? The physical education class. I signed up for it because I needed to, to stay a full-time student. And right after I signed up for it, I went to the rock wall at Strom, Thurman Gym. And at the top of, you can like take the stairs to the top of the gym and you can stand at the very peak of the rock wall. And I looked down it. And immediately my feet started to tingle. My hands started to sweat. My hands are sweating right now. And I was like, what have I done? I'm screwed. I can't believe I put all my, all, all my money, I'll put my bet uh, on a rock passing rock climbing class. Uh, but it really was an interesting experience, really eye-opening experience. I learned a lot uh, going through it. Um, one of the things was the difference between a real rock wall like they had in the climbing gym versus, or sorry, a fake rock wall like in the climbing gym and a real rock wall that we went out in nature. Oh, really? That was the final exam. Well, it was part of the final exam. It was two parts. You had a paper exam and then you had a, like, they drove you to North Carolina and you had to actually climb up this rock wall. And when we did it, 
you, you climb with your instructors who are experts, uh, but also some of your classmates. And when we got there, the rock wall exam, it's a, um, this 100-foot wall, there was already other people there who were climbing. And our teachers were like, oh, I guess we can't climb this one today because there's already people there. We'll just climb the 200-foot one next to it. It's <laughs> like, oh, okay, I guess we're just going to do that. And the class, you have to climb uh, to pass. If you don't, you fail. So it's like failure is not an option here. Um, just like free soloing. <laughs> so we had to uh, climb this rock wall. It was, it was terrifying. But it was also so different to climb a real outdoor rock wall. I mean, obviously, they're all different depending on where you go. But one of the things that was so unique about it was there are way more routes, undefined. Really? You can just kind of go the way that you feel. And um, we did the type, I forgot what, it, I should remember the vocab word, but we did the type where you like climb up to a ledge and like hook onto a bolt that's there and wait for everyone to get there. And then you climb again. You had a lead climber go. Um, and then you, cl so we climbed up a hundred feet. We're chilling up on this ledge for a little while, eating snacks and stuff. And then we climbed up another hundred feet and then you repel all the way down. Dang. It was the most terrifying thing ever. They had a, we had a photographer with us who took some great photos, um, but I was also so proud of myself because I con I conquered it. Um, it was you know a real fear that I had um, that I was able to get through, and still I'm afraid of rock climbing. Like if you were to tell me it's like hey let's go rock climbing this weekend, I would have to really mentally prep myself to be able to do it. Um, but I also I get it. You know I understand that thrill and and how it's it's there's something to it. So um, even though it was horrible and traumatizing after, I was like, I'm very proud of myself for having made it through Rock Climbing 101. And actually, one of the most interesting things about it was on my final exam, they talk about free soloing in the class. Uh, obviously, this is before the Alex Honnold movie, but they one of the questions on the final exam is, should you ever free solo? And the only correct answer is no. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I agree with that. I still agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good call. So, um, have you rock climbed? Have you ever? Um, like occasionally at the gym. I'm not very good. My arms always give out and my hands start to like, I can't, at a certain point, my hands get so tired. I can't even grip anything anymore. Yeah. That's definitely one of the major things. Like right after my forearms would always be so sore from gripping really, really hard. Also my hands sweat so much just thinking about rock climbing, yeah. like I've said, but also like while I'm doing it, I'm just constantly sweating. Um, so <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not my, like, I would never, I don't think I would ever make it into like a hobby or something I do recreationally, but when I want to get my adrenaline going, rock climbing's No, it, it certainly good. looks really cool. And I, I like the idea of like adapting to your environment like that and actually climbing real rocks or even like at the gym, just like finding different routes and finding different ways to go up the same kind of walls. Um, and it is like a full body thing, which really appeals to me, Yeah, but yeah. I am a terrified of heights. So that's something I have to get over. Well, um, do you know anybody who recreationally rock climbs? No, I don't think so. Really? I, I've seen it um, just based on what people post on their Instagram accounts. I have a handful of friends that actually regularly uh, rock climb. Actually, I, did, I have a friend in college who, who like, was part of all of that. He was, a, he was like a white ra water rafting guy. Okay. And he got into... Was he in the Nature Club? I think that's what it was called. Or Outdoors Club? Maybe. But he, was, he would go white water rafting like every week. Or every other week, wow. and then he would, um, uh, he would teach roll class in the pool and teach people how to flip over, yeah, in, their yeah. in, in, in their kayaks. And then he got into rock climbing there too. Like he took one of the classes or something, became an instructor there. So he's always been kind of into that sort of thing. Yeah, it's. I feel like it's becoming more and more popular. 
like the the actual hobby of rock climbing. It's going to be in the Olympics for the first time in 2020. Really? Yeah. Uh, so that's good. That's kind of cool. You I know? really like uh, American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> and the guys that are best at that are rock climbers. For oh, sure. really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, the people that are the worst at it are the freaking parkour experts. God, they're so fucking annoying. <laughs> what is that? How do you become a parkour expert? You watch a lot of parkour? No, you like you like do it a lot. But the thing about parkour is it's very, like, you think of it, like when someone describes it, as like modern, like a urban rock climbing. Yeah. But it's yeah. not. It's like, it's more like a, like a dance or something. Yes, you're right. It's very practiced and they go over the same routes over and over again and then they film the best one and they put that on YouTube. Right. Rock climbers like like do something that's more like Alex Honnold where they'll, they'll come up against a rock, they'll study it very closely and then they'll climb up it and you know it, whatever happens, happens. A lot of it, ad, you know, adaptation and improvision and stuff like that. So there's a lot, I feel like I have a lot more respect for those people than I do for people who do parkour. Right. But uh, yeah, just to kind of put a cap on this topic, I I do feel a certain connection to rock climbing after going through my own rock climbing journey. Um, and you know, if any, you know anybody listening wants to spice up their life, like give it a try. You might find something that you really enjoy. Uh, the people that I know who do this, you know, regularly seem to really enjoy it. Yeah, seems very very rewarding. And it's popping up everywhere. It's becoming more and more available. Uh, Oklahoma City. They converted these old uh, grain silos into a rock climbing gym. Oh, that's cool. So you go inside of them, and then inside, like the whole circumference of the inside, just like the, oh, the surface wow. of the inside of the entire silo is just all those little rock climbing rocks. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I never climbed it, but I saw people who did it. That's really awesome. <laughs> all right. I got one more thing for our higher section. Um, chipping. So I was while Alex is up there, He there was this one part where he has like a toothbrush or something, and he's yes. like wiping away the dirt and stuff. And I'm like, what, like how far can you go with this? Like what's to stop him from going up there with a chisel and making better handholds mm-hmm. for himself so that it's easier. I looked into this. This is a thing. It's called chipping. Um, it's, it's a very controversial aspect of rock climbing, as you may imagine. Um, there's like environmental issues with it because you're not sure how much like what your damage you're doing to the, to the like the structure of the mountain right. by taking away key pieces of it um, and like doing it over and over again to the same places probably makes that worse. Um, but it, it was very popular when rock climbing first got started, like in the 1970s and stuff. Um, and then through the 90s, it started to become less and less like accepted. And now it's like very controversial, like very fringe, like people usually don't do it. So, so just to define it further, it's taking a chisel and actually creating new yes. footholds and handholds? Yes. It's more than like sticking those things into the walls, mm-hmm. which a lot of them, like the way I ha- Alex described it in one of the podcasts I did with Joe Rogan, was like you stick it into the wall, into a crack, and then it expands when you pull on it. Yes. yes. So like you, uh, so you're, you're using predefined spaces in the rock to do this. You're not making new ones. My, um, my instructor, when I rock climbed out in North Carolina, th- that was what he did. The lead climber mm. has a bunch of those things. And they look like, it's almost like a grappling hook that's like collapsible. Like yeah, you, yeah. you shove it in and it's very all con- uh, compressed and then it expands within it. And it kind of, you know, the, has more traction being way, pulled out than being pushed in. The way it's designed, yeah, the harder you pull, the, you pull it out, and it makes the little like arms splay out more. Yes. So it gets stuck even more the more you pull on it. Yes. Which is exactly what you want from something that's supposed to save your life from falling. And that <laughs> is so scary to think about. Because the, the other thing that you have is in a lot of rock climbing uh, courses, because again, 
so many of these routes are already defined at this point. You know, humans have been rock climbing for a while, but they'll also drill into the rock face itself and attach like places where you can feed a rope through uh, and, and, you know, places where you can attach your gear to. Yeah. Um, like I was talking about earlier, I feel like I keep on referencing my one time going rock climbing, but um, that <laughs> ledge that we were sitting on between the first hundred and second hundred feet of the climb had a place where we could hook in to the rock itself. It was a loop that you could hook anything you wanted to. Yeah. And you're just trusting that that thing is going to hold. Who knows who actually attached that, how long it's been here. But it seemed to me like the general consensus is those things are usually pretty safe. Yeah. All right. Do you want to deliver our ratings? Let's do it. You go first. Okay. I give this movie four out of five rads. Rads? I have not heard someone say rad as many times as I hear Alex Holland say rad. <laughs> Four out of five. All right. That's that's high praise. I give this movie a rating of 5.12D. What does that mean? Which is the difficulty rating for Freerider on El Cap. Oh. He actually, on Joe Rogan, he explained the way that the difficulty ratings go. And it started off as, I believe it was between, it was... Um, like they, they start with each number and then they go to the decimal up to the next one. And as they found more and more difficult ratings, they kept going. It does not make a whole lot of sense. Like it's kind of random, but they eventually got to the point where they had to go beyond numbers and start adding letters uh, to the end of it. And that doesn't he, make sense. You run out of numbers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, it, it did. And he, Joe Rogan kind of got frustrated with his explanation as well. Um, and the most difficult ones are like the most difficult routes known are not, it's like five points. 0.15D really? is like the most difficult one. So what he did is the way he expressed it is that it's essentially the hardest you could probably ever do on free soloing. Like most people look at El Cap and say that's impossible to free solo. And this guy, the best free soloist ever, is like that's probably the pinnacle. Like anybody who could go beyond that, uh, it's just not known to us at this point. Because the things that that guy who's done the most difficult routes, who's done the 5.15D, uh, or yeah, that guy has done things that's like you can't even attempt that without a rope because your like uh, frequency of success on some of the things you have to attempt is so low, you would almost certainly die. So, 5.12D. That's how I give this movie. Um, but yeah, that's that's free solo. I'm glad we got to do this. I want to um, shout out uh, our follower who tweeted this at us. Um, I want to shout out at hoodie2, um, who goes by Drewby Doobie Doo on Twitter uh, for <laughs> recommending that we do an adventure doc. He actually specifically uh, said Free Solo, among others, because um, this was a nice change of pace. Uh, reviewing a adventure doc, I think, was a lot more conceptual than it was to, like looking at it from like a film analysis perspective. Definitely. Which was a... a uh, a fresh of breath air, I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you have a recommendation or any questions, or Joey, you're uh, you're motioning to me. We haven't said what we're doing next yet. Oh, that's true, Joey. What's next on Apple? We're Chat? doing Paddington. Paddington the Bear, hit, the hit film about the bear. Yes, and the reason we're doing this is because we both heard that this movie has gotten amazing critical acclaim. Like one of the considered even though it's definitely a children's movie it's considered one of the like greatest movies to recently come 97 percent on rotten tomatoes which again i don't necessarily know if i trust rotten tomatoes but we're we're gonna find out we gonna find out people who watch who critics watched it 80 percent audience review too so <laughs> i don't know how much stock i put in rotten tomatoes anymore but 
we are going to find out if this praise is warranted. So that's what's coming up next. If you have any recommendations or anything you want to ask us, you can call our number. 833-600-2428. Yes, that's 833-600-CHAT. Call us anytime. Leave us a message and we'll play it on a future episode. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you find us, leave us a review. It really helps us grow. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both is the same. It's at AffableChat. Or you can send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. Um, we also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat. And that's going to do it for our episode on free solo for Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>